Lord, please touch him because we have seen the misery that sin causes on people. We know the pain that comes because of sin. So when we see someone that used to be ministering here and they're not anymore because of sin, Lord, have mercy. Lord, restore them. Lord, be gracious unto them. Lord, do something for them. And then next Sunday you come and then I guess God heard your prayers. I guess God heard that you were asking for mercy and grace and God said to the pastor, okay, put him up. He already repented. I forgave him. Put him up. He's my son. I want him participating. Oh my goodness. Wait and see what happens to this pastor. Pastor, what's wrong with you? God bless you. It is a pleasure to speak to your life. I want to tell you that God has great things planned for you and that these are revealed through his word. Therefore, I encourage you to prepare your heart and to prepare your mind to hear a powerful word spoken through Pastor Richard Torres. Let's listen. Amen. We're starting a new series, and I'm going to invite you to those of you that are watching online to go ahead and share so that your friends can also be blessed. Uh, those of you that are watching online, and, and we, uh, we're so grateful that you're watching or listening on the different platforms. We're starting a new series today, and I titled it, At Bethesda. At Bethesda. At Bethesda. It's a new series, and with that title, I want to ask you, what happens at Bethesda? What happens at Bethesda? What just happened just a few minutes ago? What happens at Bethesda? I wonder what comes to mind to people when they hear about this ministry, when they hear about this church, what happens at Bethesda? What do people say about Bethesda? Why would someone want to come to Bethesda Church? I'm asking you these questions for you to think about. Why would someone want to come to Bethesda Church? Why would someone want to be part of this ministry? Why would someone want to invest in this ministry time energy money why would someone would want to be part of this movement if this is your church when you invite someone why is it that you tell them what is it that you tell them why is it that they should come to this church after all america it's a beautiful place where you find churches almost in every corner this is one of the beauty, the beautiful things of this nation, that we have a lot of churches. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Listen, there are nations that churches are not allowed to exist. We are blessed that you don't have to drive. You choose to drive 40 minutes, 30 minutes to go to a church. You don't have to drive. I guarantee you that those of you that drive 30 minutes, you have a church less than five minutes away from your house. And I'm so grateful that you choose to come to this church. I am. You know? But what is it that you tell them? What is it that you tell them about this church? Why should they come to this church? What is it that makes this church different than other churches? Not better than other churches. Different than other churches. What is it that makes this church different than other churches? So... What is this church about? What is this church about? What is Bethesda Church about? What are we known for? There are two aspects of this question or this answer. There is the verbal answer and there is the actions. What is this church about? What is it that we're known for? What defines us? We have the verbal answer that we can give. We, we, you can grab one of our uh, pamphlets and you can read what we are about. Changing lives through love. And you can read about some of our values here. We value the presence of God. We value excellence. And the list can go on and on. But, this, but see, that is the verbal answer. We need the actions to follow what you say. You see, in your life is the same way. What is your life about? What defines you? Well, I am a Christian. 
Well, 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 wait. That is your verbal answer. Let's wait for the actions to really back up your verbal answer. Because some people say one thing and do a different thing. You know, some people say, I'm not mad. Why are you men specifically laughing about this one? Some people say, I'm not mad. But you see, the verbal answer doesn't match the actions that follow. You see, I'm not mad, and they're just looking at the window. Let's move on. So, I even lost my, my place in here. You know, I ask these questions because this series is about what this church is supposed to reflect, what this church is supposed to do, what this church is supposed to be known for. What is it that we do? You come to church. You're part of a group. You're part of a, a, an institution. But what is it this institution does? What is it that we do? Shouldn't that be important? What are, are we about? You know, this church is relatively young. We're not even two years old. And you may say, oh, pastor, I've seen some of the people that are serving together for many years. Amen. Well, I want to tell you that, yes, you may say that. Some people have been here serving for a little while. But Bethesda Church was born just under two years ago. There is a new leader. There is a new leadership, a new vision in this place. It is not the same. We're not going in the same direction that we were three years ago. You know, just under two years ago, we decided to go in a new direction. Amen? We are creating, we have been creating a new culture. Okay? Now, creating a new culture is a tough thing to do. You know? To change the culture in an institution is not something easy. And we have been changing the culture of this church for already a little bit of time. Yeah. And we're not done. So, if this is your church, is this your church? Yeah. If you're watching online, is this your church? Yeah. Comment in there. Say, Amen. Amen. This is my church. Yeah. This is my pastor. Yeah. He's, he looks really young, but he's not that young. You can just leave it at, he looks really young. You don't have to say the other part. Listen, I think it's not only important, if this is your church, it's not only important that you know what we are about, but that we reflect what we are about. It's not only important to know what you are about in life, but that everything about you reflects that, it speaks of that without you saying a word, Okay? So, for Bethesda Church, I want us to go into a little journey for the next few weeks of what this church should look like. And we're going to start in John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Verse 2, 3, and 4 we're going to read today. At Bethesda, what is it that should be known about this church? What is it that people should talk about this church? What is it that people should say about this church? Which, by the way, means you. It means you. You see, when you have a bumper sticker that I don't think we have yet that says Bethesda Church, when you have a bumper sticker that says Bethesda Church, and you take that red light, You know who, who was violating the law? Bethesda Church. Someone at Bethesda Church. Oh, what is it that that pastor teaches them there? Do you have it? John chapter 5, verse 2, 3, and 4. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. In this lay a great multitude of sick people. Blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. When whosoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. 
at Bethesda, I want to talk to you about what I think should be displayed in this church. If you're part of this ministry, I want this place. I want Bethesda Church. In any church that is birth off of this church, I want this church to have this kind of display, to display what we see in this passage. Can you see that image? It's very simple. There is a place where the presence of God, the angel of the Lord, moves, where people that are sick get healed. Do you see that image? I want this church to display that. I want people to recognize this church as a place where the presence of God moves, where there are people that need healing. And when the presence of God moves, people get healed. I want this place to know by that image. So everything that happens in this place should lead to something similar to that. Would you like that? The angel of the Lord move and people be transformed. This is what the church needs to be about. Facilitating the moving of God so people can be transformed. Don't you like that? Don't you like how that sounds? Now, this is not just about the church. This is about you individually. Your life should be in such a way that it facilitates the moving of God so that people can be transformed facilitating the moving of God so that people can be transformed. If you're a Christian, that's what your life should be about. Facilitating the moving of God so that people can be transformed. So, how do we go as a church and in your life from words to actions? How do we go from I am a Christian to I live like a Christian? How do we go from we want this church to display what we see in this passage which are words, we declare, we value God's presence. So we're saying it, that we want this church to be about that. So how do we go from that to actually experiencing God's presence in this place, seeing the sick in this place being transformed, being healed? How do we do that? A culture, a culture is the only way in which we get there, by creating a new culture. A few weeks ago, I was touching on the gospel. I was speaking about the gospel and touching on our cultural responsibility. How is it that the world desperately needs an alternative, an alternative, excuse me. The world desperately needs an alternative way of living. They need to see that there is another way in which you can live, but they get confused when the church lives exactly the same way that they live. So why would they become Christians? If the, if the church lives the exact same way that they live outside of church. You see, they, they, they want to, they are desperate for a different way of living and a different alternative, a culture. And as a church, we are, we are to create a new culture. How do we create this culture? I want to mention with you, or I'm going to share with you today, three things that we need to do to create a new culture. A culture that goes according to what image it is that we have for this church. Is that making sense? To create that culture, we need, number one, listen, this is a church for this, excuse me, this is a culture for this ministry. You know what, what I'm talking about when I say culture? Just simply a way of living, a way of doing things. There are different businesses out there that have a very, very defined culture. That, that as soon as you walk into that place, you see the type of culture they have in there. One of them is Apple. Apple. Apple, the, the company. They've created a culture. Everywhere that you go, it feels like the same place. They all do the same thing. Chick-fil-A created another wonderful culture. You see, you walk in there and you notice the difference on the customer service. You see, that's culture. That's how they do things. So how we're going to create this culture in here? I'm going to give you right now three things that need to be part of how we do things. If you are part of this church, you need to consider doing these things. Because if you're representing this church, that means that you agree with where we're going. As a church, this is where we're going. This is what we want. We want this to be a real pool where people come with needs. 
We want the waters in here to be moved by the Holy Spirit in such a way that when people come in this place and have needs, they can be healed, transformed, restored. That's what we know. That's why we have that name, Bethesda. We don't have that name because I thought it was not, it was not as usual or as a common of a name. Turns out that after we got the name, we had a neighbor church around here. I didn't know that prior to the name. Anyways, I'm going to give you three things that need to be part of this culture, of this church. Okay? Number one is found in verse two. We just read it. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. What does Bethesda mean? Do you know what Bethesda means? Bethesda simply means house of mercy house of mercy this is the first thing that our culture needs to do to change how we do things let me rephrase that this is the first thing that we need to do to create a new culture as a church practice mercy and grace as a church this church if you consider yourself member of bethesda church this is one thing that your character should display you practice mercy and grace you practice mercy and grace and you may say pastor that's easy i got that down i practice it every weekend lord have mercy on me lord let your grace be poured upon my life in such a way every week pastor i practice mercy and grace is that what that means Pastor, that's all I do. If it wasn't for his mercy, I wouldn't be here. That's true. We're all in the same boat. If it wasn't because of his mercy and his grace, we would not be here today. So that's not what I mean by practice mercy and grace. That's not what that means. That's not you practicing mercy and grace. That's God applying mercy and grace over your life. So right now, if you say, Lord, have mercy on me, you're not practicing mercy. God is exercising mercy on you. Huge difference. So this is something that you have to display. Practice mercy and grace. It means two different things. Or it means two things. Number one, it means that you're not the subject. You're not the object of the mercy and grace practiced. Let me explain what that feels like what that feels like, or what that looks like if you want to. Years ago, I had a um, situation with someone at church. I was a leader of a particular ministry, and I had someone that didn't see things the way that I saw them. And so things were a little bit beyond the, the, the margin where they should have been, and I knew that he was acting unreasonable, and he was in the wrong. There was no question about it. He was in the wrong. However, I had a huge conflict because this person would minister and God would use him in a powerful way. Now, I'm Christian and I love God and I have a huge conflict. How is this happening? God, I know he's doing wrong. I know he's doing wrong. How come you're using him? How come you're blessing the people through him? How come he looks like an instrument? How is that happening? And so finally, God, God got tired of me whining and complaining. And he very subtly, suddenly said, I guess you're perfect. I guess you have it all figured out. I guess you're flawless because I use you. So you must be flawless. So that if I use someone that is in the wrong, that has made a mistake, that is not perfect, and, and I use him, it's wrong. You see what happens there? If it doesn't feel as good when the object of mercy and grace is somebody else. It is perfect when it's you. It is amazing when it's me. I mean, to be the recipient of grace and mercy feels fantastic. You can be in his presence and you can just let go of your emotions of how amazing he is. But wait until God does that for someone you think doesn't deserve it. 
Lord, what's going on in here? You need a better filter, Lord. Some people shouldn't be in here. I'm telling you, I was confused. Until he said, you must be flawless. And then he hit me. You know what? That's mercy and that's grace right there. But it's not me being the object. It's not be, me being the recipient. It's somebody else. Listen, Bethesda Church, if this is your church, you need to start practicing mercy and grace on somebody else, not on you. It's not all about you. It's not everything about you. Sometimes you're going to have to look on the other side and understand that though you may have worked 12 hours, God decided that he was going to give the exact same thing he gave you and he only worked one hour. It doesn't matter. It is his to give. And you have to practice mercy and grace. So the first thing is that it's, it's not about you. You're not the subject. When you practice mercy and grace, you're not the object of mercy and grace. You have to let go of it. It's not, it's not you. That's the first one. The second one, to practice mercy and grace is not the same as to pray for mercy and grace for someone. We, we, we get that confused too. We get that wrong as well. We think that we're practicing mercy and grace because we're praying for mercy and grace to somebody. No, that's not it. Again, that's God again practicing mercy and grace on somebody else. You're interceding. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. I don't know if you're going to like this or not, but I'll still share it. We think that we're practicing mercy and grace when we pray for someone. Lord, forgive him. Lord, have mercy on him. He failed from your grace. Have mercy on him. Restore him. And we pray. Lord, please touch him because we have seen the misery that sin causes on people. We know the pain that comes because of sin. So when we see someone that used to be ministering here, and they're not anymore because of sin. Lord, have mercy. Lord, restore them. Lord, be gracious unto them. Lord, do something for them. And then next Sunday you come, and they're in the altar. I guess God heard your prayers. I guess God heard that you were asking for mercy and grace, and God said to the pastor, okay, put him up. He already repented. I forgave them. Put him up. He's my son. I want him participating. Oh my goodness. Wait and see what happens to this pastor. Pastor, what's wrong with you? I hope God has been speaking to your life through this message. The desire of Bethesda Church and Pastor Richard is to change lives through love. And we are very grateful for the opportunity that this medium allows us to reach multitudes. If you would like to continue listening to more messages from our pastor, or to know more about this ministry, look for us online at mybethesda.org or on facebook.com slash mybethesda. Thank you. Didn't you know what he did last week? And then I will say, well, I'm confused. I heard you praying for him. You were asking God to restore him. You were asking God to forgive him. You were asking God to, re to restore him in the place that he belongs. I guess you meant in a year from now. Not, not now, pastor. Don't take it literally. I don't, I don't mean in this moment. I mean, God, forgive, forgive my husband. Restore him. But not now. I want him to suffer a little bit. I want him to understand the pain that he caused in my life. Can, can you discipline a little bit? Can you shake him a little bit? I, I'm confused. You see, to practice mercy and grace means that you don't react according to what was done to you. Instead, you're good to them. That is practicing mercy and grace. And we have a conflict with this. We have a conflict. Because on one side, we forgive people. And on the other side, we don't want to look at them. We don't want to see them. We don't want to be around them. Is that what mercy and grace is about? 
Listen, this church is to practice mercy and grace. The easiest way for you to conquer this struggle that we have is by every time you're questioning why so quickly, Lord, you restore him, just think about yourself. Just think about yourself. What God has done in your life, how he's done it. I don't have a problem with practicing mercy and grace. You know why? Because I am a recipient of it. More than once, his mercy and his grace has been abundant in my life. So whenever someone needs grace and mercy, mercy and grace, I don't have to go too far to relate and, and, and think of myself as being on their chair. Let's not be so quickly to judge people. Amen. Let's not be so quickly to find a punishment for them. Let God do that. Let God deal with that. I'm not against discipline, whether this is for your children or in church. I'm not against when someone sins that someone should be put in discipline. As you know, have you, did you grow up in church? You know what I'm talking about? Those of, those of you that grew up in church, especially Latino churches, we have a specific times assigned to the discipline. You know, if you're just a, a, a church member, they might give you three months of discipline, which means you don't get to participate on any activities of the church. The only thing you can participate on is on tithing. None of the other ones. Now, if you're involved in church, it's not three months. It's six months. If you're somewhat of a leader, it's six months. Now, if you're high rank, I'm telling you, could be one year, could be two years. So I am familiar and I am not against discipline because I believe some people, they failed God and their heart is so broken about it. They repented and they're really broken about it. They don't need to be put down. Excuse me, they don't, be, they don't, be, they don't need to be sitting down. Not put down, sorry. <laughs> In this church, if you failed, we'll put you down. <laughs> Lady Carol was, she took me there. I wasn't going there. Listen, there are others that just because of their condition of their hearts, you can tell they don't need six months to to think about what they did. They don't need six months to realize that it was wrong and change their ways. No, there's some people that immediately their heart is so broken and ready to go back to God that there is no need for discipline. However, there are others that are cynic. Is that the word? Cynic? Cynical about it? They did something wrong and they're laughing about it. They know it's wrong and they're laughing about it. Hey, you know what? That's fine. It, it, it shouldn't be that way. So I don't think you're ready to go back and do what you need to do. So I, I'm not against discipline. But listen, we have to practice mercy and grace as a church. Amen? It means that you don't respond to people as they deserve. Instead, you treat them well. Meaning, it's not that you don't just don't respond and walk away. No, no, no. You go the extra mile. You treat them well. That's what mercy and grace. Mercy is not receiving what you deserve. So you don't give them what they deserve. But grace is not left empty. Grace is giving what you didn't work for. So we have to practice as a church mercy and grace. And this is key. You need to practice this because the next one hangs on this one, depends on this one. The next one is you have to welcome the sick. Verse 3. And in this, in this, lay a great multitude of sick people. So, Bethesda, this house of mercy, this building, this church, you and I, we are to host a great multitude of sick people. So, in order to create this culture, we have to practice mercy and grace, and we have to welcome the sick. Again, this is something 
that is not just to be said. It is something to be done. Okay? Let everyone, everyone that walks through those doors feel the love of God. Everyone that walks through those doors feel the love of God. If someone comes in here and smells like alcohol, this person is to feel the love of God. Okay? If someone comes in here and they're not living how you and I know that one should live for God, if they're not living like that, they should feel the love of God. They should feel the love of God in this place. We are to welcome everyone that comes through those doors. When someone doesn't have the political views that you have and walk through those doors, you should not say, I can't believe you approve of that. Because the only next statement after that would be, what are you doing in this church? This is tough, isn't it? I'm telling you that we are to welcome everyone that walks through those doors. You see, I, I think we forget that churches, the idea of a church is the same as a hospital. Jesus came for those that were sick, not for those that were healthy. And you know who are actually the ones that are interested in Jesus? Those that are sick. Those that are struggling. Because when you're healthy and you're out there in the world, it's really tough for you to open the doors for Jesus. Listen to this. We are a church that needs to welcome the sick. As I was going over this segment of the message, I thought all of the ways in which I could get in trouble for what I was going to say. So I decided to say it anyways. If there is a couple that is not living, excuse me, if there is a couple that is living together and they're not married and they come to this church, I want everyone in this place to love on them. I don't want anybody to point the finger and condemn. Listen, if you're a part of Bethesda Church, when someone that walks in this place that doesn't dress like you, that doesn't talk like you, that doesn't live like you, that doesn't have the political views that you have, walks in this place, they need to feel the love of God in this place. If this is your church, everyone in here needs to feel the love of God. Now, if next Sunday, this same couple comes, and they're not married yet, you still need to love on them the exact same way. Now, pastor, at three months, we need to put up. Three months went by, and they still don't want to get married. That means that nothing's happening in their life. They have not changed, and I don't think they should be part of this ministry because now they're going to create confusion outside. People are going to think that we are okay with people that live together and they're not married. Here's the problem. I don't want that to be this church. I want this church to be the church that one person comes through those doors, is living a sinful life, and the next Sunday he comes living the exact same life, I want him to feel welcome. And the following day he comes in in the exact same way, I want him to feel welcome. Every single day that he's alive and walks through those doors and he hasn't changed, I want him to feel welcome in this place. I want him to feel like he belongs in this place. Pastor, that is not accurate. That's, it shouldn't be that way. I know that's why Jesus was so criticized when he was hanging out with sinful people. I know. You know what we do? I feel like we forget that our responsibility is not to change people. Our responsibility is not to change people. Our responsibility is to love on people, and God does the changing. You feel responsible for people changing, and I think that's good. That's healthy. We are to do everything that we can to facilitate a transformation for them, but it is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to preach, to preach, to preach about God, to preach against sin, to preach and let them know who God is, and it is God's responsibility. It's His action that transforms people's life. Our responsibility is not to do the changing he does the changing. All we do is love. That's what we do in this place. Changing lives what? Through love. Our responsibility is to love. We can't change them. God does the changing. 
Amen? God does the changing. Someone comes to our church today, living a sinful life. We're so excited that you're here. But please get healed today. And if you don't get healed today, at least next Sunday. Please don't let it be more than three Sundays. Because my reputation is in the line. I don't want people out there saying that in this church come people that are sinful, that, that have sinful lives. I don't want people out there that we have to know that we have opened the door to homosexuals in here and they have been homosexuals for six months and they still come into this church and they have not changed. You see, that would be too, too bad of reputation for a church. That a, a church allows couples that are not married and are living together to be part of their congregation and allows them to be part of their Thanksgiving meal. You see, that's not a good reputation. So please, anybody that comes in this place, be healed as soon as possible. We can't have people looking sick in the church. People that come to church should look like they're healed. Of course, because none of the people in church that have been attending church for 20 years still need healing, right? None of them. Everybody at church that have been at church for 20 years, they're all healed. They're just coming to say thank you to Jesus. We forget that we need healing. So, welcome the sick. Welcome the sick. Let's love on the sick. Amen? Number three in my favorite. I love this one. This is, I, I won this above all the other ones. I won it above all the other ones. And this is why I want to focus on this. Let me just read it first. Verse 3. In this lay a great multitude of sick people. Blind, lame, paralyzed. This next, next part, I love. And I want this to display this culture here. I want this next phrase to be a, distinct, a distinction of this church. A quality that is visible, that is tangible. I want this next phrase to be something that we are known for. I want this next phrase to be the heart of this church. A church that is waiting, waiting, waiting for the moving of the water. I want Bethesda Church to be known for a church that is waiting for the moving of the water. Let me tell you why. Because you can be nice to people. You can be welcoming on people. You can love on people. You can have great programs. But if the presence of God is not in this place, there will be no change. There will be no transformation. Nothing will happen in this place. So it is important that this church understands that our culture needs to be about waiting. Waiting for the moving of the waters. Waiting for the moving of the waters. I want us to be a people that wait, that waits for the moving of the water. I want this people here to wait for God to move. I want these people to wait for the moving of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me on this? Because this has implications. If this is going to display our culture, people that wait, that wait on the water to move, that wait for, for, for the angel of the Lord to move the water, it has some implications. And I want to share some of those with you. What is it, what is it that it means to have a culture, to be a people, that is waiting on God to move. Number one, when you're waiting on something to happen, you can't do that unless there is expectancy. You can't wait on someone, wait for someone, wait for something to happen unless there is expectancy. So as part of our culture, this should be a church that has expectancy. This should be a church that walks through those doors every single time or flips the phone to Facebook and it has a special emotion like never before. You see in the morning when you get up, if the first thing is that the first thing that you do is go to Facebook and see how many liked that picture of your pizza last night. 
If that's the first thing that you do, when Sunday comes, I hope that as soon as you open your eyes, you're excited because today you're going to watch something on Facebook that can change your life. You see, that's expectancy. I, I, I can't tell you what it would happen if the church would have expectancy from God to do something today. I can't tell you what it would happen in your life if you would walk around with expectancy that God is going to do something in you that will forever change everything around you. You see, we walk around without expectancy. We go to church and we wait to be motivated to praise God. That's not expectancy. You see, when you have expectancy, you don't have to be motivated for anything. You're waiting. You're just waiting for that moment. You're ready to take on. You want something to happen. Expectancy. Someone that has expectancy shows it, displays it in everything, in how they talk, how they walk. You see, someone that is waiting to be healed, I would even imagine if they're expecting to be healed in a, a particular day, I, I, I know that they would, e they would even go to the store and buy some new clothes for Sunday. I'm going to be healed. I want to be healed on good clothes. I want to be healed. I want to look good when I'm healed. Because people are going to be watching. And since I'm going to be healed, they're going to praise God. And I don't want them to look at me and look all messy. No, I, I, I want them to look at something nice. So I'm going to go to church really, really beautiful today. See, expectancy causes you to do some things that you, know, you normally don't do. The day that you come to church and that you are expecting God to do something, you don't just come and sit. You probably go to the altar first and say, God, I am, I'm nervous. God, I'm, I, I, I feel like something's going to happen today. Lord, what are you going to do in my life? I, 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 I'm excited. I don't know what's happening. And you see, that changes how you worship God. This church is to have expectancy that God is going to come and move something inside that will forever change who you are. Are you waiting for God to do something? Because you need to show expectancy. If you are a church that is waiting, I'm telling you, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for God to do what he said he was going to do. And I think he's going to do it just about at any time. I'm waiting and I have expectancy that he will do it. You should have expectancy that he will heal you, that he will restore you, that he will restore your marriage. Do you have expectancy? Expectancy is a powerful thing. The next thing, the next thing that I think it does. Or that it means. What does it mean to wait? We know that it's waiting, right? Waiting. It causes expectancy. But in English, only in English, because the Bible was written in English, it allows us to play with the words. There's two meanings to the same word. Waiting. So in the expression of this exercises of what you do, meaning waiting, takes place in the same place. In a restaurant, you do both. In a restaurant, you go and you wait to be seated. And some people wait, excuse me, and some people work at a restaurant waiting on people. Two things that you do. So what is it that it means to us as a church to have a culture that is waiting on God, meaning you have expectancy. You know something is going to happen. Just about any time God is going to do something amazing. And you live with that expectancy. I think, I think, that's why the apostles, that's why the first church were so powerful. Because they had a powerful expectancy that God was going to do amazing. I believe expectancy is so attached to faith that it is impossible to separate them. When you have an expectancy that God is going to do something, you're acting in faith. So, it means that you wait on him, that you serve him, that you serve him, that you serve him. So, what is it that we do while we wait? We serve him. We wait him. We serve him. We praise him. We worship him. You see what happened this morning? What happened this morning? You may think that it's a coincidence sometimes that it happens. Could it really be a coincidence that we have no control, that we have no ability 
No, we have to serve him. But there's another thing that we have to do while we wait. And I love this one. It's invoke his name. Invoke his name. Call on to him. And that's what worship does. Listen, it is okay that the miracle is not there yet. It is okay that things have not changed. You're waiting. You're waiting. You're serving him. You're waiting. But let's do another thing. Let's invoke on his name. We know he said he will do it, but that doesn't keep us from invoking on his name. God, don't forget about us. God, we worship you. We praise you. We magnify your name. You're an amazing king. Praise him. Praise him. So, waiting creates an expectancy. And we come to this place with that expectancy. We serve him. We wait while we wait. I can't do that in the Spanish uh, message, just so you know. I can't say that. Because in Spanish, you can't say, we wait while we wait. Anyways, you didn't know that. You, you didn't need to know that, but anyways. And number three thing, or the third thing on, on waiting I put it in here. It removes time limitations. It removes time limitations. Lord, I'm not living until you do what you need to do. That's the culture that this church needs to have. A culture that practices mercy and grace. A culture that welcomes everyone in a culture that waits on God. Meaning, we come to this place with an expectancy. Expectancies that causes us to worship God in such a way. Expectancy that causes us to serve Him while we wait on Him. To invoke His name, to worship. I want this place to always host the presence of God. Listen, if you haven't been here on Tuesdays, you need to be here on Tuesdays. It gets powerful amazing his presence is powerful and this is why you need to practice invoking his name because this is what happens you may be tired of waiting you may be frustrated of waiting because you're serving god and he's still not showing up how he's supposed to be showing up start invoking his name when you start invoking his name when you start declaring who he is Lord, you are holy, you are powerful, you are amazing, you are faithful. And then a song, a, a song comes to mind and you can just say the words as a prayer. I'm telling you, it's a powerful thing because it is just a matter of moments where you didn't feel the presence of God because you were tired, you were frustrated, you were upset, you were mad. But by you invoking his name, declaring his power, his authority, it is inevitable. His presence starts coming down and just hugs you in such a way, in an amazing way, that there is freedom. There is freedom in that place. Amen. So the last essence of waiting is that it removes time limitations. Lord, I'm not living until you do something. I feel like we're always in a rush. Like right now. I just got the cue that I'm done. You see? That's right. Poor of him. I'm messing with him. We have an agreement. And if anything, I'm violating that agreement by extending a little bit. But mercy and grace is to be practiced. Mercy and grace is to be practiced. Waiting on God removes time limitations. Creates expectancy. It causes us to serve him, to invoke his name. But it removes time limitations. Looks like we're always in a, in a rush. We're always in a rush. And I wonder why, what we miss when we leave as soon as we can leave. When we leave as soon as we can leave. Let me give you an example of someone who didn't leave as soon as they could leave. And see what happens. Paul and Silas were in prison. And the Bible says that they started praying and singing. And God, God set them free. The doors were open. The guards lost conscience. You would think that someone who is in prison, the moment the doors are open and the guards are not able to keep them, they will rush out. Like people on Sundays on a cowboy game. As soon as the pastor says amen, 
they fly out. I mean, I, I, didn't even, I couldn't even get them to say, good to see you today. <laughs> Listen to what happened. They didn't. They stayed. The guard gets up and he's confused. He's confused. And you know what? What that staying there cost him? A soul to be one. You never know what kind of miracle you will experience if you just stay a little longer. If you just wait a little longer. Listen, you've been praying in the night for two hours and you're tired. You see, waiting and having the attitude of saying, Lord, I'm not going anywhere until you do something. I'm not moving. I'm not going away until you do something. I wonder what that does to Jesus. I wonder what, do you remember what happened to Jacob when he was fighting the angel? He said, you're not going anywhere. I'm not letting you go. You see, I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep fighting, and I'm going to keep fighting, and I'm going to keep fighting. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to declare that you're holy. I'm going to go to church on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Sunday. I'm going to go after you in such a way that you will see. You will see. Listen, you will see God's miracles over your life. I want to ask you. I'm I'm ready to close. Are you ready to do any of those things that we just talked about? while waiting on God because most likely not most likely all of us are waiting on God are you going to change your expectancy as importantly are you willing to wait till he moves the altar is open are you willing to invoke his name right now and say Lord I came here today thinking that you would do something and I'm not leaving. Would you please stand? And if you're home, stand. And if you need to come to the altar, listen, come to the altar. If you need to tell Lord, I'm not giving up. God, I'm, I'm tired of waiting. God, I'm tired of waiting. I feel like I've been serving you. I feel like I've been doing what I'm supposed to be doing and I still haven't seen a miracle. But I'm here. I'm pressing through. Listen, if you, come to, if you need to come to the altar, come to the altar. Don't leave this place without recommitting your life. Without saying, Lord, forgive me. Father, I worship you today and I thank you. You're an amazing king. You're wonderful. You're powerful. God, your mercy and grace is overwhelming in this place. God, I pray for this church. I pray for this church. Everyone in this place. I hope you have enjoyed this message, and if one day you are in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and would like to visit, our address is 71001 Airport Freeway, Richland Hills, Texas, 76118. We would love to meet you. If you have any requests and would like for us to pray for you, you can call us at 817-427-0010 and leave a voice message. Contact us and let us know your comments. Once again, you can give us a call at 817 817- 427-0010 or write us an email to info at mybethesta.org.